Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Preparing to Zoom. Yeah, this live streaming. Live streamed. Got it. The Jake fans are broken right now. They're like, ah, oh, these two schmucks. It's two thirds of value after hours because uh, JT is on his way to Capital Camp and uh, hasn't been able to quite make it yet. But he's hoping to join us midway through. If he doesn't, it's just uh, it's just Billy and I. What's That's how it might be. Not much. Just uh, you know, I think that the total brain power of value after hours is significantly decreased with just the two of us on. It, it's gone down without the. Uh, the ship has Without the sunk. veggies, mate. It's just it's all it's all the good stuff. It's just dessert, right. dessert and meat. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I seriously considered getting a glass of wine for this episode, but I thought that drinking during the day with COVID was probably not a great idea. Yeah, so you you, you got COVID. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm feeling okay. If you can hear the children that just came into the house screaming, um, they're. Uh, look, the hardest part going forward is going to be quarantining with my children. Um, <laughs> my wife is not in great shape, so I got to help her out more than a <clears throat> more than maybe I thought I would. What but, were your What were your symptoms? Uh, I have a really bad uh, cough, like, and at night it gets pretty bad. She was dead tired, man. She she couldn't move for like probably two and a half days. She just slept. It was wild. Did you either of you lose taste or smell? Uh, no, I no, I've I've been able to taste. Jake told me to drink a lot of bone broth. Whoa. I was able to taste how disgusting that was. Bone broth is great. It's I mean, mommy. I like I liked it when I got a lot of uh, pepper and salt in it. I didn't like it bland. Ah, we still got JT's in the house. Yes. How did is you he... do it, JT? You've done Boom, it. How did you do look it? Look at that. What's up, homies? Could you hear me? Yeah. Oh, and you're live. Live from Capital Camp. Look at that. It's dumping rain right now. I was like running through the rain to get here. Hopped on the Wi-Fi. Unbelievable. My hair on fire. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm all stressed out. There you go. Well, uh, if I recall correctly, you have a, a veggie segment to tie back to last week. So good luck with that, sir. Whew. Okay, I got to take some deep breaths if we're going to get there. You got, you got Capital Camp. Uh, so you've been in Capital Camp for all of like seven minutes. Yeah, literally just got into Missouri. Um, so first impressions of Capital Camp? <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen it. It's been too rainy. Uh, I'm, it looks like it's going to be nice, though. It's going to be fun. Had spent a little time with uh, one of the main man, Chris Broomstrand. He gave me a ride out. So we've been oh, nice. getting to chat. Yeah, he's a good dude. I like him a lot. Have some red wine with him tonight for me. I did last night. It was there you good. go. Yeah. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about there. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. Well, you, perhaps how are you guys next doing? Year. We, we literally, we just kicked off. Oh, um, good. All we've done is discuss Billy's COVID. And, uh, yeah, how are you feeling, homie? Uh, I feel okay. I, I, I have had better times, but I'm, I'm fine. The remainder of the quarantine with the children is going to be the tough part. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to get them away from me as soon as possible. Love you guys. Love yeah. you. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, got, I got it early in the year. I got it in the first week of uh, of the year before the uh, the shots were available, and so I've now had COVID and two shots. So I'm I'm invincible. I think, yeah. dude. All right. So this is actually a decent way to segue into investments, and I I still don't have um like this is not fully fleshed out. So please everybody understand that you're just listening to someone think out loud. Um, you're not allowed to have any personal opinions from, of your own. The, the, blessed by the <laughs> what? Sorry. No, I, I actually, I should uh, shout out to the people at Canalyst. I'm going to pull up one of these models real quick to see if what I'm saying is completely stupid or not. But um, like, I cannot help but think after seeing the amount of my friends that have been vaccinated and had um, like breakthroughs mm. uh, and like, you know, for me, I mean, I'm not going to break through. Is that where you get it after you've, after you've had the shot? I think that's how we're defining it. I don't know. Sorry, Google. I apologize. I'm not a doctor. I'm just demonetized. We're going to lose the dollar 87 this time around. Yeah. 
Do they steal our tips from Thomas Brazil? If uh, no, if chips. It? How do you say right. chupa chips? Chupa chips? I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> the thing that's been going on in my head, man, is like I was okay. My wife was, like I said, like kind of fucked up from this thing. <laughs> and we're only, you know, we're only, uh, we're, we're both below 40. The idea, like, let's assume everything stays the way it is, which I think is probably against the underlying assumption because science gets better over time. The idea that when we're 60, we're going to go on a cruise ship if this impacts her in that way is absolutely insane to me. And like, I kind of think that uh, we're in this part of modeling and sort of like figuring out consumer behavior after the pandemic, where like retail sales have just absolutely ripped higher. Uh, like the the consumers in the, the greatest shape that they've been, like uh, house values are high, everybody's spending on travel. And like, this seems like the perfect blend to look at the short term and extrapolate incorrectly into the long term. And I think I'm like overly focused on how COVID's actually going to impact the world going forward. But I just sent out like a tweet and I was like, you know, if I ran long short, I, I don't think I could not be short cruise lines. And part of the reason is like, if we live in a world where variants are just like continuing to come. I, I know cruisers cruise, but cruisers are also old. Um, and like, I'm, I have a high degree of confidence that my wife and I change our lifestyles to avoid her getting this in the future. Cause it was not fun to watch how sick she got. You know, the cold, the, the, the flu virus comes around every year. You're supposed to get a shot for the flu virus cause it mutates. We don't give it a new name every year, but it's a different, yeah. it's a different variant, you know, because it's whatever's fluct, whatever's circulating in the Southern hemisphere that collect a few of those and they give them to people in the Northern hemisphere and then vice versa. Yeah. So just probably, it's just, you got to get a shot every year or something. I just I wonder just if the transmissibility, I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't think that you can, I, I'm obviously overly concerned. I have a ton of cognitive bias. I'm living in quarantine. Like there's a lot of problems with how I'm thinking. It's not a good Tim, time to probably make any big, big decisions. No. <laughs> no. Tim, Tim Brown gave us that dollar 87. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, man. That, that means a lot. That Twizzler is going to go far today. Chip and chips are back on. There we go. But, you know, I mean, uh, on a longer time frame, I do think it's going to be interesting to see where things settle out because uh, extrapolating what's going on right now, I think, is, uh, is a flaw. I think there's a reasonable chance we just go back to normal, just go back to where we were. You know, technology changes a few things. Like maybe there's a little bit more remote work. But I think people have got short memories. Well, I'll tell you what's kind of interesting. I'm going to sound like my man, Mike Mitchell here. And I probably said it on the last podcast, but um, I've been thinking about it a lot because he's got me involved in this damn lumber thing. Um, housing, read the home builders and then read build, builders first source and then read like Home Depot and Lowe's. And if you think housing's the economy, uh, Things are looking pretty good, assuming, you know, no material change in outlook from here. But like they're all saying the same thing. And then there's this other thing that I'm thinking is like if housing drives a lot of the business cycle is now this time to pour additional stimulus on that. And uh, I'd argue probably not. So you're welcome. These are the thoughts of Bill. So hard. I mean, these complex adaptive systems, the initial starting conditions, which way the ball bounces can completely lead to these totally insane different outcomes. It's, it's very, I don't know. I've, I've honestly been spending less and less time thinking about that kind of stuff because I just feel like I'm, I just might just go around and pretzel, you know, I get pretzel brain. Yeah. I think that's fair. The, 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 when, when Mike, uh, I hadn't really realized that we'd underinvest, not, not necessarily underinvested, but there had been so many fewer home starts over the last decade. And I went and pulled up that data, which you can pull off the Alfred website pretty easily. That's the feds, St. Louis feds, St. Louis feds. Dude, uh, it's nuts. 
it's very hard. I just, it's not clear to me just eyeballing that data. Like what you can see in it is there are these very clear, and I was just talking this talking about this on podcast with Stig Broiderson, but it's very clear that there's this like sawtooth pattern in, you know, we we have a massive ramp, then we crash to a low, and then we sort of like over a decade or so, we climb back up to the top and we crash again. And it does seem that the, the last ramp was much, much flatter and shallower than preceding ones. Mm-hmm. And now we're sort of, we're maybe a little bit north of the long run average, um, but you know that's like halfway to the to the peak. So, if what if what that implies is that we're halfway through a uh, through a recovery, and there's another half to go, and you get to sort of the silly, you're going to see silly levels at some stage, but we're nowhere near it now. And when you get to the silly levels, that's probably the signal to do something else. But it looks to me like there's a long, long runway, and everything that flows from that home builders, Home Depot, lumber. Like everything just seems like we've got probably got some good years in that part of the market. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that what it implies is that there is a sufficient foundation to be bullish for like, and by bullish, I mean, optimistic that uh, the underlying housing market and the tangential markets related to it will show a period of healthy growth over the next two years. Uh, that's as confident as I'm going to be. I do think that a big, like, I think how this thesis loses is there's just not enough labor to get it produced. Mm. Um, and I, and I think that that's potentially a very real way that like, if I was going to be a bear, I'd be like, you just can't produce them because there's just not enough people now, whether or not capitalism can solve that through wages and whatnot. And you know, how much of that is like, you know, you can, uh, you can pay anybody. Yeah, well, you can pay anybody to frame. You need skilled workers to be plumbers. So, sort of, where's the kink in the, you know, in the in the demand for labor and the supply? Um, you know that that's to be determined. But I, I do think like we've got a couple of good years of of housing driven growth in us. Having said that, though, that doesn't necessarily mean that the stock market does really well over that period of time. That's going to be a different kind of beast. Like there's a there is a there is a valuation component to what the stock market does, and at the moment, it looks pretty stretched to me. Yeah, well, I could actually argue. I mean, if if I was going to argue why the stock market wouldn't do well in that, uh, laborers when they get paid tend to spend the money. One of the problems with inflation going back to 2009 was velocity of money. You start getting hands in the money of people that spend it, you get velocity increase, then you get potential inflation happen, and then you can get rate rises, and then you get a market correction. I mean, that's how potentially. Now, that said, your growth goes up, so everybody can debate the, the formula, but that's how I would say it may not help the market. I saw a statistic last week that the uh, that the cost to own a house is as low as it's ever been. That might be a... That yeah. might have been... Jake uh, Economic or Logan. Logan posts that a fair amount. What is that it's based on? Uh, it's it's just, like debt service coverage. Yeah. So even though prices are high, uh, the as a proportion of the budget of family budget, it's as low as it's sort of it's close to its lows. Is that rates yeah. or is that income? I think it's mostly rates, but I think income have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got a huge millennial like tailwind coming here. Millennial, if you're a woman, like you pretty much have to have a kid by the time that you're 30. I mean, you don't have to. I'm just not a fucking doctor, but well, uh, handmade tail. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but like when we were having our kids, we were really nervous that we wanted to have at least our first by the time that my wife is 35. Right. Cause then you start to have uh, complications of birth defects and stuff. So there is a natural limit to how long you specifically up. can. You, you, yeah. Your risk goes right. up. That's, yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at the demographic bell curve, you can make an argument that baby making is about to really occur. And then that tends to drive. Single oh family. yeah. Yes. Okay. So now the, the reason that people haven't welcome to value after hours, we oh, yeah. make babies. That's no, really after hours out yeah. of yeah. men by talking about value. Sorry. The, uh, 
the problem I think has been there's been a lot of income insecurity and people have been carrying huge uh, student loan debt. Student loan debt, uh, not enough money left over to save up for a deposit for a house. That was my interpretation of it. Everybody's experience is going to be a little bit different, though. I'm in California where housing's expensive. Yeah, I guess what the story that I've always told myself is um, millennials generally watch their parents accumulate a bunch of shit that they didn't really value. So, uh, and then, and then life expectancy has gone so far out that as a generation, millennials kind of wanted to just kind of hang out in the city for a little while, be flirtatious, not start a family quite as early. And now they're probably settling into that. What? You can't hang someone for that. No, no, especially not with uh, the plethora of options on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I can't. The thought of going out now just it's too much. I'd rather hang out with the with my three and my wife. Ah, my my version of hell is if my wife were to die, the idea of dating again. Like I'm just not going to do it. I hire somebody to take care of my kids, but I'm I'm going to be. I thought you were going to hire something else. (laughs) No, Uh, yeah, you know. You know, we thanks MD. Thanks for the show. We've got it's Warren Buffett's birthday. Happy birthday. Ah, uh, what's up? What's going? Yesterday. 91. Yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good knock. Buff dog. I hope he had a great day. Everybody I hope he sat down and read it. Yeah. Read a 10K and got I bet super it looked happy. like every other day of his life. Yeah. It's just ice cream, and, ice cream and peanuts, right? I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to have some peanut. He, he probably splurged for the McGriddle. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the extra coin? Yep, extra coinage. Astrid threw a few extra coins in there for him. <laughs> uh, Should we uh, d- d- talk about something? Some- let's uh, let's bang out the veggies in case my battery dies. There we go. That's then then I disappear. You, you haven't gone first for a little while, JT. Let's okay. Let's fair enough. First. Okay, so we remember back to last week. Just in case you missed it, we were talking about thermodynamic equilibrium, right? And this idea that the molecules bounce into each other and share energy until they become a one common temperature. And we, we drew that back to kind of social, like you becoming the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So we had sort of a social thermodynamic equilibrium that, that might be existing. Um, then we, you know, we got into everybody's vagus nerve and all that stuff, right? So <laughs> anyway, so let's see if we can keep going on this and then pull in memetics, which is a topic that I've actually been wanting to talk about for a while, but I've just been lazy and or waiting for the right, uh, the right segue or time to do it. But now is a good time to do it. So the father of memetics is this guy named René Girard, and he was a French-born professor who he, bounced, he was studied history mostly, but he's kind of a polymath. He bounced around at different universities, finally ends up at Stanford, and, but the only class that they give him is like a literature class. And he's like, he hasn't read most of these books that he's about to have to teach on. And he's like staying basically like one week ahead of the students, uh, you know, as, as one does. And, uh, you know, he's starting to look for patterns in these books so that he can, like, work less hard, right? Like, well, if I could just find the common pattern between all these, I don't need to read the next one. Um, and what he, what he realizes, and that I guess it may be from historical relevance, too, uh, like, sort of that the accidental nature of discovery and, and innovation is often, you know, I think we, we discount that. Uh, but so he's, he realizes that all the characters in all of the classic literature um, – from the Bible to, uh, you know, all the way up through like the great Russian works, all those guys, they, all the characters rely on other characters to show them what is worth wanting, right? Like, what is it that what that there's always a character who influences the desire of the main character. And that's a really important part of, of every, of, of all these stories. And so that got Gerard thinking about, you know, where do your, why do the things, why do you want what you want? And you might be saying like, oh, well, like Maslow's hierarchy, right? Well, this isn't quite like Maslow's was a hierarchy of needs, not wants. So let's, let's separate that to start out. Um, you know, Gerard is talking about the wants and desires. Like, where, do you, where does that come from? Why do you want to wear that brand? Or why do you want, um, you know, why do you think that's like the right house for you or the right car or, I mean, anything NFT? or the right spouse? Why, why is that, buying, in, yeah. why is that NFT uh, worth 
more than a Monet, who knows? Um, so he comes up with this idea. Uh, and by the way, I read a couple Girard books to try to wrap my mind around this. Cause I think it's like kind of an important topic and they are just rough. I mean, it is, I'm not going to say impenetrable, but it's damn near. Um, but thankfully, uh, this guy named Luke Burgess, who was actually sort of in the startup scene, he wrote a, a really approachable book that explains a lot of this stuff, uh, kind of for the layperson like me. And it's called Wanting. And I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's like it's well worth the read, especially the first half of the book. Uh, but, you know, so Gerard is describing memetics as basically like this, this psychological. It's like what gravity is to physics. This is to psychology. And uh, where I, I first heard of memetics was actually from Peter Thiel, who um, he talked about, like he went to, he saw Gerard in giving lectures at Stanford. That's where Peter Thiel went. He saw him giving lectures in the eighties, uh, late eighties. And that was like, he learned about memetics kind of firsthand from Gerard. And then uh, this, it allowed Thiel to, to see Facebook really, really early on and see that it was just a memetic generation machine. And so he put $500,000 into it and that's turned into about a billion for, for Thiel. Um, probably also recognize that Zuck is like a stone cold killer, but uh, anyway, so the, 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 the basis of memetics is really about like role models and like models and then seeing what it is that they want. And then you adopt what that role model is. Um, and it, it actually starts like at birth, the like babies who are just a few hours old, even will, if you make faces at them, they will tend to copy those same faces. Like you stick your tongue out and they'll stick their tongue out back. Um, they'll, it's like, we are hardwired from the gate to be mimetic copying creatures. Um, and even like, you know, by the time you're 18 months old, we understand the intentionality of wants. Like they do these little studies with, you know, 18 months old, they're pre language, but they like, we'll see an adult trying to do something and like not able to do it. And they'll hand it to the kid. And like the kid knows like, Oh, that's what you were wanted to do. Like they, they understand intentionality that way. Um, and, and even it goes like down into like our mirror neurons, right? Like we, a mirror neuron is basically like um, when they like, let's say eating a, a grape, like seeing someone else eat a grape will trigger the exact same neurons inside you as if you were actually eating it. Right. We have this amazing empathy uh, and even apes have the same thing anyway. So let's, let's rewind back in history. There's this guy named Edward Bernays, who is really the father of public relations 1929, uh, at that time, it was really taboo for women to smoke, uh, like in public, like you just didn't, you didn't smoke in public if you're like a classy gal, right? So, um, you know, the 19th Amendment had happened maybe, you know, 10, 10-ish years ago, and, and women were really finding freedom at that point. Like it was a, it was a new time for, for like uh, women and their, um, like it was, they were kind of feeling themselves at that point. Like it was like, kind of a cool period in history after, you know, eons of that's the, like, is it the flapper, yeah. flapper period. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what uh, Edward Bernays did was he hired a bunch of women to march in this parade and they were all smoking in public and they called them torches of freedom. Right. Like, so they, <laughs> and then like, it, it appeared like it was spontaneous, but he had like news coverage or like newspaper coverage all set up for it. It was like, it was plastered on every single newspaper in the U S these women like with their torches of freedom. And they all of a sudden like cigarette sales, who was, who hired, they hired Bernays to do this. Uh, you know, like they, they tripled that year, right? Like it was just like, all of a sudden it was fine to smoke in public. Like what they wanted was their torch of freedom. Um, so we're looking for these role models. And so it, what, uh, in this book, Wanting, how Luke breaks it down is there's what, what Gerard calls an external mediator of desire, meaning like outside of you and controlling it is better described, I think, by, by Luke as he calls it um, celebristan to kind of use like some of uh, Taleb's, you know, how he likes to make like mediocristan and extremistan. Well, so this is celebristan. And this is like, you know, people who are so far above you, you see what they do and what they want. And then you copy it. So like, you know, Michael Jordan's drinking, he wants Gatorade at his game. And like, now I want that too, because I'm at my basketball game. I want to pretend I want to be like Mike. Right. Um, and it's a, there's no conflict there because 
you know, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan, obviously. Um, so there's no like, and it's not zero somewhere. Like I'm taking Mike's Gatorade from him. Right. However, there is what, what Gerard would call internal mediators of desire. And this is what um, Burgess calls fresh manistan. Like, so like your freshman year of high school. And that is where everyone like, you know, is copying each other, their hair, you know, their makeup, their clothes. They're all looking around for a model of like, who is cool? Who should I be like? And this one, you know, that maybe ever all your friends kind of like the same girl, like, like, you know, it's, it's, or guy. I mean, it's like, a, um, what ends up happening is it becomes very zero sum then and like conflict builds up and like, it, I don't know if you've ever had a friend who copied you like so closely that it kind of becomes weird, right? Like it's like, there's a, a, a dynamic to it. And so eventually all of this magnetic pressure has gets built up and then something has to be done to relieve it. And that's where scapegoating comes in. So, and the scapegoat tends to be a sacrifice um, that actually like we, you know, we've had it like Gerard calls it sacred violence. Um, and it's like this clearing mechanism for mimetic uh, pressure that gets built up. And so, you know, the Aztecs had human sacrifice. He would say Jesus was sort of a, like a mimetic sacrifice. Uh, think about like Lord of the Flies or like Mean Girls or, you know, any of these sort of iterations. Well, it's, it's always someone who's part of the group that gets sacrificed, but they're just outside of the group. And it often ends up being like the king or a beggar. Like it's, it's like on opposite ends of the spectrum. Those people are singled out to be sacrificed um, and relieve the pressure of this, this mimetics. Okay. So all of that said, uh, oh, I was going to say like maybe another reason for us to get canceled, but like I can't help but wonder if there's a little bit of like the wokeism now is not some of that same mimetic pressures and scapegoating and canceling people like that is a, a very scapegoaty kind of uh dynamic that i feel like we're we're living in today um all right so let me see if i can land this back to full circle thermodynamics um as you remember like fighting entropy requires outside energy you have to have an open system and for us thankfully we have the sun that is always providing our little system in the on earth with new energy that allows all of every single thing that's making a living here is fighting entropy through the use of this energy from the sun. And this is how you, you keep disorder at bay is with new energy. Well, that is almost sort of like the, an external mediator of desire. Like it's, it's a little bit more like the celebr stand, like it's an open system. Like it's, it's not zero sum, like there's new energy coming in. Well, Freshmanistan is is more like that internal kind of closed loop system that entropy builds up in. And eventually enough entropy builds up, like it gets cleared by that, what, what Gerard would call like sacred violence. So um, I've never, I don't, I haven't seen anyone ever talk about like try to bring physics back to memetics, but, uh, and I may have not, it may, and maybe that, that count is still at zero. I'm not sure if I, <laughs> if I got it back. But uh, yeah, so that was that's memetics and and uh, Girard. So you get there are two two scenarios, right? That we're talking about. There's one um, celebus celebristan celebistan. Yeah, where you're receiving your um, your directions from a, an external third party who's well known to everybody, and it's non-zero sum. So right. there's and probably the objective of most of it is to, to, to sell something to you. So there's going to be a lot of the stuff there. And then there's another manifestation of it, which is high school, early on in high school, where it's not zero sum, it's competitive. And right. that results in some kind of um, sacred violence, some kind of bloodletting. Does that then allow the, the tribe to move on or is that just, it's just this ongoing kind of, how, how does that work? No, I, yeah, it allows the tribe to like, move on the pressure is released and now everyone can kind of get back to it's, a, it's a, like a resetting mechanism do you think that the social media has taken one version of it which is the closed system and then magnified it you know so the the high school version of it and then magnified that yeah as if think, it's like a, a broader issue i think it might be moving maybe kind of the other direction where like you used to um 
you know, that outside kind of non-zero sum, you know, Michael Jordan selling Gatorade advertising. And now it's much more like, I, I feel like Instagram maybe especially is, is more like people that you like, that's almost you, right? Like it's not, they're not like full, full celebrities, but they're, they are sending you uh, or you are absorbing what they want, but they're much closer to you. And then it, like the frequency of it, is, I think is such a, a big difference too, that um, it has to be, we have to be creating way more mimetic pressure, I would imagine with some of these systems. What, what do you think the uh, what do you think the outcome of that that is like? Do it, so does does wokeism break itself as some of the the uh, the, the critic, critics say that it will? I don't know. I mean, now too we're far too, from investing. Way over my uh, yeah, way over my pay grade for that kind of like societal. But so how do you how do you how do you connect back to investing? I think uh, sorry, I'm, I might have missed you. I might have missed the the landing being stuck. <laughs> Yeah, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> uh, it's not a, I don't know if it's necessarily an investing thing, but when you do, I mean, it could be when you do see, when you have memetics as a, a frame of like a, one of your hammers in the bag, you do start to see it kind of all over the place. Um, it is, it is sort of like gravity in every human sort of interaction. And so, I mean, if you're studying, a, if a, studying businesses is often studying, you know, how, how do humans interact? So I think it's a useful tool to, to understand. Can you connect it to NFTs? Oh, NFTs. I think, I think it's fairly easy to connect. I I think within um, investing, I think a lot of, uh, I mean, meme stocks in general are very, um, I mean, that's like a direct steal, but um I think if you look at like accounts that have gotten big and stuff, people, I mean, people follow people into ideas. I, I, I do think I struggle with how much of this is different versus how much of this used to just go on, you know, at, um, I paid a lot of money to go to this conference and somebody really smart pitched me on this idea. And then I bring this idea out to my idea dinner. And now my idea dinner shares it with other people. And like, I just kind of wonder how much your social media has turned this into the open versus uh, how much not. I know, I know it's different. I'm not clear how different it is. I think the degrees of separation now, a friend was telling me about this. Shout out to Niall. Um, that, you know, it used to be that six degrees of separation was this common, you know, that Kevin Bacon game or whatever. Um, I think the degrees of separation have shrunk now. And so... I think it's like, it's just a denser network. So anything with a denser network, like will propagate anything through it faster. Yeah. What's the argument for NFTs as an investment um, class? Do I think it's just digital it? art. You're, you're trolling me right now, Toby. I'm not going to take the bait. That's bait. <laughs> No, I think, look, I think, uh, I mean, I wish that I bought one of these bored apes. I love those things. I think they're dope. And uh, there's something like, it's a way to flex on the internet. And there's some like social agreement. To, like, I, I I know the bored ape that I would buy if I wanted one. Um, I have a picture of it on my phone. I, I don't share it. Uh, like, I would never make it my profile picture. It's against the code. Like, that's that's fucking rude. Uh, and I think that that matters like to some people now people may say that's really stupid, but like, I think it's stupid to spend a bunch of money on a Picasso. So what's, what's more different, something that I can actually flex to the world and everyone can see it or something that I have to like masturbate over about in my house. So is that uh, consumption or investment though? Well, I'm not sure that it's either. I mean, it can be both, right? It's, uh, I agree. It's like a way to peacock, but I, I, there's no underlying cash flow. So if you want to define investment as something that can like pay you back, um, then I think you have to get into like the artist rights and stuff like that. But those things aren't going to trade on the underlying cash flow. They're going to trade on the ability to signal something to a crowd. Yeah, let's separate out. So non-fungible tokens, I, I, I do think that they probably do have some utility. Um, I've seen you guys selling them to conferences and to, that, that probably, that makes a lot of sense. 
uh, the pictures or the or the trading cards. I also understand that too, but the the level that it's got to, where it's like five point five million or you know whatever was paid for Beeple's, uh, it was like sixty nine million for Beeple's thing. Where's that money coming from? Wasn't it well, Ethereum I mean, that were traded for it or something? Yeah, like that? some of it's crypto millionaires. Probably a lot of it's crypto millionaires. Is it money laundering? I think that, I mean, I think that's like, isn't art always some form of money laundering? <laughs> well, they, but Sotheby's has like a, a know your customer requirement, surely. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that like one of the biggest money laundering assets in the world is cash. And I do think that people are a little lazy when they start to say like crypto is a money laundering and, and asset and NFTs are too. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not willing to write it off as a money laundering scheme. I, I think this is, I think this is something way, way bigger. And the people that are not paying attention to NFTs and crypto generally are probably the same people that thought the internet wouldn't change the world. I, I think there's something very real going on. Whether or not you want to participate is up to you. But what, I think what's the, the idea use case, what's the utility? Um, I don't know that people even know right now, but I know that as far as bored apes go. I think a lot of it has to do with just signaling on the internet. And I think that that means a lot to people, whether or not it means something to somebody, you know, is, is debatable and no one has to participate. Uh, I certainly wouldn't expect the value crowd to understand it, but you know, I, I mean, I just, people spend hundreds of millions of dollars on art that I think is worthless. How's an NFT any different? I mean, it is kind of a, um, it's an amazing thing to look at our species and say like, wow, we've reached a level of affluence where we could put that much kind of resource into something that is that uh, subjective in value. It's not like, God, I need to like get a roof over my head and, and a meal. And like, I haven't eaten in weeks. Uh, like, I mean, like we've reached a level where we can like sell each other digital shit. I think, I mean, it's kind of cool in a way to, to be that affluent. Yeah, well, and like, why does anybody drive a Range Rover? Why does anybody drive a Mercedes? Why does anybody do anything for status outside of anything? I mean, this is just, it's digital art, but it actually, there is something different about owning that particular NFT than looking at it on a screen. And, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, certain groups of people value the ownership is, I, I does don't Does a lack really of matters. scarcity matter there, though? Because I feel what do you like. Mean? Well, if you have that one Picasso and it's in your private collection, no one gets to look at it unless you say they can look at it, right? Whereas this is like, I, I can go get the same, you know, artwork bitmap as whatever the, the real one is. I just technically don't have, like it's not recorded in some blockchain somewhere that that's mine, but the experience of viewing it is not much different. Yeah, but you could pr presumably get a print of the Picasso or look at it on the internet, right? Unless it's like this one Picasso that's never seen the light of day. Yeah, I'm sure there are those private collections like that. So like people could generate art and sell it privately and indiscriminate, you know, and discreetly and issue an NFT and people don't ever have to see it. It can just go into a vault somewhere. It's like the Wu-Tang album that Yeah. I don't think this stuff's, I, I don't, I think it's just uh, different and I think it makes people uncomfortable, but I don't think that that means that it's crazy. That said, I don't own any, I mean, but um, I do get it. My question is more related to the, the investment in it because the way that I view it, it's, it's the tail end of a pretty speculative period. And we've had, I'm not talking about the 10 years. I'm not only talking about the 10 years beforehand. I'm talking about the, you know, since the March 2020 bottom. And it just seems to me- Now you're going back to 1973. <laughs> this story starts in 1850. No, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a overpaying for something because there's people overpaid for these things already with the expectation that they're going to make uh, you know, like you're buying a lottery ticket that you've got this like lottery ticket outcome likely. And I, I, you know, the, I think that the more likely these things find a bottom down a lot, like 99% or more beanie baby type stuff. It's, 
It does. I don't know. Beanie baby ish. Doesn't it? I assure you that the three of us are not the people that are, are qualified to comment on something like that. Like no one's qualified to comment on this. This is, this is, what do you mean? This is what I do. I, I think about the value stuff all the time. Yeah, but you're not this, this, these fall outside of what I would call, uh, where I think your brain would naturally go. It's, it's anyway. just, it's just another asset class. It's like fine wine, okay. rare whiskey. Yeah. It's like anything like these things, th- these things do follow their own, you know, th- there are, it's not like there are no rules and you can't understand any of this stuff. It's, it's just, it's the same thing that's happened over and over and over again with people pretending like a little bit of technology makes a big difference. It doesn't same shit, different day. I guess. I don't I mean, look, different if this time, Toby, come on. Well, I'm all, my point is you don't know it's not. It it's may not, be like I don't I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion. I don't frankly I don't give a shit. Like it doesn't matter to me. I don't care what my prediction is. What I do think is I think if you say this is a bubble, therefore it's going to crash and I don't need to learn about it, that's where I have a problem with thinking. Because I think that that line How much thought, do you know about how much do you know about like like art? How much do you know about? Uh... Not much, but guess what? I I mean, as an asset class, it's performed pretty well. And if this is truly digital art and people actually start to value it, it can actually make people money. Whether or not you want exposure to that asset class is a different question. But yeah, like, you don't, I, don't, I don't think you have to kiss all the girls. Yeah, well, that's fine. So don't. But like, I don't need to have an opinion on every girl either. I haven't even dated this girl. I barely even know her. I just see an ape on the internet and I like it. And I wish that I could buy it. If it was like a grand, I'd buy it. But it's like a couple million bucks and I don't well, have any. Why can't you right click on it and download it to your computer and make it, it a screensaver? I won't do it. It's not right. That's the wrong thing to do. But there's no restriction against doing that, right? It's, it's not, not right, ma'am. It's not copyright. It's not right. So where does that come from? Every where's man's got to have a code. For your code for this. I just don't think it's the right thing to do. It, it falls outside of my... Uh, my code of life. I think it breaks a rule that is unwritten and shouldn't be broken. Is this like, is this a, is this code something that is discussed between people who own these things? Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't right click on somebody else's day. No, I don't, I mean, serious. I don't I'm know. Being serious. It sounds like I don't joke, know. It's just, like, I haven't, I haven't paid the money to represent. Never that right that click is, another ape. <laughs> well, that's, I haven't, I haven't uh, paid the money to represent that I have the right to use that aid. So I'm not going to, I have, I have, but aren't sent you, out a but that's not what you're paying for. I like this. Cause let's be very clear. What, what you're paying for is not. Or is the receipt that says that you own that picture. And then that receipt is stored in a different place. And that's what you paid for. Not the picture itself, because the picture itself can be replicated over and over and over. Yeah. Again. The non-fungible know, part is the receipt. I don't know. It doesn't, I disagree with you. Like go, I'm not, I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, that's, that's the definition of it. I'm not, I'm not. It's the right to use it. It's like a social code and the right to use it. It's the right to have it as your profile pick and to use it on the internet as if you own it. So if you do own it, you would use it as your profile pick. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I see. So you're not using it. Can you send it to me later? I just want to see what it is that you, that you like so much. I'm not trolling. I'm honestly, I want to know what it looks like. Yeah. It's sweet. Are you hold it up right now? Well, if I can find it real quick. Okay. See, I think this is okay because I'm saying this is somebody else's ape that I happen sure. to like, right? But like if if you get into, I do think the ownership conveys the right to use. And I think that using without the permission uh, to me violates a code. Yeah, you don't using, like it. Using is a defined term under the Copyright Act that would, that would outline what you're, allowed to, what you're allowed to use. Okay, well, I, I, I only have... Like, you're uh, allowed to do that. I only have my own personal definition of uses. I haven't uh, run it by an attorney, but uh, we got two on the call right now. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not practicing. You're not allowed to say you're thank, an attorney unless. Thank God, you, it's only practicing. two. I mean, I've been pitched to invest in a in a digital horse stable. I will say, digital horses are much better business than um than a real, real horse. horse. Yeah. yeah, forget a real horse. They don't get broken legs as much. I saw someone yeah. in the comments was saying that, you know, the, I can see the NFTs being used for like a, a song where there is, a, there's, there is an income stream attached to the song and there are websites that you can go through to where you can see songs that are being auctioned off. So you get yeah, the this, rights, you get the, the, 
the the revenue stream from them. That makes yeah, sense. The idea that like NFTs are going to be done with labels, I think is a joke. Uh, like you can own the, the way that I view a label is a label is part of the platform that enables a career, right? They turn hits into careers. And if they're going to do that for somebody, they're going to own the rights to the NFT. Like I, I don't buy this world where, uh, all these independent artists don't need labels. I think that's, uh, I think it's insane. I think you could argue to me that, that labels won't generate any free cash flow because the cost of artists will become so high that, that I'll, I'll buy. But the idea that labels are going away is insane to me. It's distribution, right? They're going to provide that service. Yeah. But if there's somebody else who disintermediates them, like there's some technology solution where you just upload your song, it starts getting lots of plays, it's distributed to lots of platforms, you get, you know, you get <laughs> one, one cent per thousand spins on Spotify or whatever. Toby, the I'm problem sure is, seen man. this with your books, right? I mean, the, the book publishing industry versus self-publishing, kind of a right. similar thing where they were taking too much of the economics before for, relative to the value they were providing often. Now Amazon takes all of those economics. <laughs> you do a little bit better self-publishing, but not do much. A little better, but you got to do all the work. But then, you know, I think that the um, the publishers could easily just be doing it on Amazon as well, and you'd have no idea. That's true. They could use Amazon for all of their fulfillment. I just think in a world where everyone can release content, it becomes very, very hard to get yourself found consistently. And that's what I think the core job of labels is. There's been some research on that. There's a there's an Australian researcher who created these three different universes of so when you logged on to use a song website, a music Bang. website, Pete that ape. That's that the dude one you is like? dope. Yeah, man, he's got like bullets and shit. That's okay. dope. It probably took someone like twelve minutes to draw that. Now they've got a 360 rendering of all the apes, which is even cooler. Ooh, do you have to yeah. pay more for that? I don't think so. I think that just came as an upgrade. Oof. All right. So the, the, the function that they might serve is, is uh, distributing and promoting stuff. And that's, that's a legitimate function. This is the, the uh, publishers, I guess, of music or of books or whatever. There's been some research done by this Australian universe, uh, researcher. And when you logged into this website, you didn't know, you were put into one of three universes, just like randomly chosen. They had the same songs in each but the trending songs were based on the people in your universe and what they liked. And it, to, to, to uh, further support your argument, JT, they had completely different songs become more popular in each universe. It was just like it was an accident of what people heard and liked initially and what bubbled up and not mm. successful in that, in that little universe. Yeah, there's a good book on that called Hitmakers, I think, by Derek Thompson. He talks about like how do how do things become hits? It's pretty interesting. I think the most popular podcast ever was one on this guy who he recorded a song in like the like, the mid 1990s or the early 2000s, something like that. And uh, it was at the time when music labels were making the absolute. So it must have been mid 1990s because they were making Bang. huge amounts of money. And there was no streaming going on. And so what they were doing was they just released some songs that were like 50-50 on into a few regional markets. And then they'd let them go and just see if this song picks up and we'll translate it across. So this guy lived in this market where he heard this song on like high rotation. And it, he just remembered the song and it went into his brain. And he was with his wife or girlfriend in the car like 20 years later singing the song. And she's like, I've never heard that song. And he said, how is that possible? And he went trying to search for it and he couldn't, he couldn't find the name of the song or the lyrics or anything. But he had, he had the lyrics like memorized as you do when you hear songs over and over. So the podcast is about tracking down uh, that song. And I've kind hmm. of given away the punchline, but there's a reason why it's the number one podcast. It's the number one single episode podcast in the world, I think. Huh. I have to look it up. It wasn't a value after hours? No, surprisingly, we're, that's we're a shame. Low Fair thousand enough. spins for us. I just, I just think with uh, with all this NFT stuff, that's uh, I, I uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Value investors are not who are gonna figure this out. They just aren't. Like by definition, a value investor, I think, is just like it lives way too skeptical of a life. And you know what? Like they all may go to zero, and value investors won't get crushed. But 
I, I don't perceive value investors as a group, myself included, to be people that figure out the future and where the future is going. Value investors buy lots of dumb shit for fun. It's yeah. just whether they categorize the dumb shit they buy as an investment or whether it's just dumb shit that they spend money on. That's a different question. Like if you go and buy a $100 million penthouse in, in New York City, you're probably overpaying for it. But you, you're thinking about it in different terms. You're thinking about, I'm going to show everybody that yeah. I'm a successful hedge fund guy and uh, this is a statement in, in NYC. Like that, that sort of stuff's going to go on all the time. That's all this is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is sort of what it is a little bit, but I, I, I just don't see how that's much different than most art. It's, it's just not very hard all. for me. I, I don't think it is at all. I'm just saying that I, I, I look at people tweet out stuff all the time and I look at how much their exposure. I mean, I saw something this morning. This guy's got like three to $4 million in, I can't remember now whether it was assets, but I think he might've had like 750 to a million in NFTs. It made me a little bit nervous that it just, no, you know, he'll either get crushed or he won't. I don't care at all what happens to him. I hope he's happy. I do. At the, end of, at the end of his life. I, I hope he doesn't end up in a ditch crying about his NFT exposure. But, you know, whatever. People are free to do what they want with their money. No dispute. But I still think that be a little bit careful spending lots of money on NFTs. Yeah. And I think. You know, probably if you're getting all your information on Twitter, that's probably a source that is overly skewed to accepting the idea. So maybe find some boomers to talk to for a counter opinion. Hit us with uh, some questions. I mean, I basically am too. I'm, uh, I've only recently learned that I'm a millennial. I like just get in the millennial. That, it's, that's such bullshit. When I, was, when I was working, when I'd been working for five or six years, they said there are these new people in the workforce that are coming through. Get ready. They're the millennials. They're the ones who they have all of these unreasonable demands and they don't want to work. And, they don't get, and I was like, oh, we've got to watch out for these guys when they come through. <laughs> and then they moved it and you're one of them. I'm, now, I'm either millennial or uh, the other guys, uh, Gen X. X. And like when I was when I was a kid, like the reality bites was the, which came out in 1994. When I was a kid, I was f- 13 or 14 or 15 or something, and uh, that was like that were a totally different group of people to me too. Like I've got no yeah. idea. Like I don't. I'm not millennial we're both or in that generation 80 to X. 82, which is I think like they they we have our own little tiny subset. Apparently, I've heard. I don't know. Yeah. Or or pre pre uh, pre um, pre internet and post. Um, I don't know, whatever. Post reality bites anyway. I'm not Gen oh, yeah. X and I'm not millennial. No. I think the millennial cut us like 79 or something weird like that. Uh, hit us with the questions, dudes, if you've got any. I saw I have that, not um, heard Donda to the person that asked. It hasn't been on my list yet. I tried I to turn either. it on yesterday and I was like, I can't take this. But no good? This, no, it's not that. It was just the morning and I wasn't ready uh, for Kanye. It was like a little too much. I have COVID. I was like, no, I need to be high at night and listen to this. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so did Steve convince me that Barber is a good buy? Um, hey, Brad, thanks for the $1.88 before too. I saw that go through. I just didn't get to shout it out in the, in the moment. Um, now they're trolling us. In the- <laughs> I think I think the, the argument that we had a lot, not the argument, but JT and I discussing it last week, like, it's undervalued. The only question is, you know, how comfortable can you get with that regime? I'm sort of, I'm leaning towards being, I, I think that it's, it's an investment that you probably can make, but, you know, everybody's going to make that decision for themselves. So this is interesting because a bear could tell you that, uh, and I know that I argued this just the past two weeks, but um, you can make an argument that China is now saying that they're going to return capital back to the people. And that they're not going to let these corporations, uh, you know, keep the money. So forget about my my previous stance was about the VIE structure and whether or not you can trust that. Now it's about whether or not the corporation has the right to actually have the cash. I don't have a good idea of what's going on, and I think people should follow uh, Ray Ma if they want to. Ray spells her name R U I. Um, like. I think there's an argument to be made that you can't value these stocks at all. Uh, and, you know, probabilistically, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's interesting on the back of an NFT 
comment <laughs> to hear us say like, oh, well, you know, Bob is undervalued. Like, why? I'm not sure you have a claim to any of the cash. That's a people would argue that you don't. Well, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, if yeah, you if you take away that metaphysical risk or whatever it is, yeah, the thing is objectively undervalued on its financial statements. But you have a right. question okay. that you have to resolve, which is whether you are as a as a shareholder, whether you're ultimately going to participate in that valuation or what your rights are to that. You know, the VIE VIE is one issue. Then there's other just amorphous regulatory changes that China seems to make at the drop of a hat that will come in the future, one of which might be, yeah, we've just decided that you can't have the cash, we're paying out the cash. That's the thing you have to get comfortable with. And that's where, I don't know, you kind of got to go on a balance of probabilities or you got to buy a leap or you like there's, there's, but I, I, I don't own any bubba. I just, I find it an interesting kind of thing to consider, but that's, that's the, that's the problem. Like the problem, the issue is not, is this thing undervalued? The issue is what is your right to that valuation? Or what is your right to that share of the value? Yeah. Is there some off balance sheet obligation to the government that you don't see? I don't really see this being that dramatically different in the grand scheme of things as kind of every value investment that has hair on it, that you are trying to assess the probabilities of shit. Is this business going to, is it a going concern? Uh, can they turn it around? Do they have assets enough to do it? Like there's, it's always the same often existential crisis that you're trying to nail down and get figured out. So this is just a, a permutation of that. Yeah. I think I meant existential when I said metaphysical. Yeah. I think that's right. It's okay. We got you, TC. This guy from <laughs> this guy's success from chess has now asked the same question twice. It says, I believe Kindleberger's manias, panics, and crash made the point that surges in real estate often precede financial crises. So why do you see housing as a positive and how confident are you? Uh, I mean, I guess I don't really understand what he's asking because uh, I just think that we have tight supply, bad housing stock pretty good affordability. Consumers balance sheets are as good as they've ever been. And outside of the sky will fall one day and real estate will lead it. I'm not sure how you come to a negative conclusion. I think it's, I mean, uh, real estate sorry. has always been the, often the problem because it lends itself to leverage. And therefore, it, the the damage that it can do gets more extreme. It'll sweep the banking sector into it often. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, that's but like we're structurally undersupplied right now. So a uh, price surge is just kind of how capitalism works. Right. That's the only thing that's not obvious to me from that Alfred chart is that we are in fact structurally undersupplied. That was the, that you can't, it's just not in that data. And I just wasn't sure. And I don't know where else to look. So anybody let me know, like if you've got, if you've got a better idea about this, but I just looked at Where's the, Mike Mitchell. Yeah. The, the, we probably do need well, to talk to real this. estate people. No, I'm not going to ask the barber if I need a haircut. <laughs> well, they also happen to be like experts in their field. I mean, they're it's not always a good time to buy. Yeah, well, some would argue the same for value guys. That's true. I it's know, always it's a coming good time. back. It's an evergreen this. Yeah, so I mean, if if you can ask anybody about anything, they do. Uh, In fairness, would... this this group has not always been the ones pounding the table that value is the best value at different points, right? So yeah. Well, I think we, I think uh, we've all had, we all see the world a little differently, which is a good thing. Uh, that 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 chart just is not clear to me because if you look at that chart from uh, the Alfred website, there are these very distinct sawtooth patterns where we get up to some big boom and we are making way too many houses, like one point six million at the or whatever it is, sixteen hundred. I don't know how the I don't know how to interpret the numbers, but at the bottom, it collapses to like a quarter of that, and then it spends another decade or so kind of going back and you can clearly see that the most recent ramp is just much flatter much lower trajectory and we're yeah, only well, now at the long run average of what we need to i mean what are what are real estate inventory days i bet they're super tight right now i mean just call like call realtors and see how easy it is to put deals together like the real but, estate market but that would lend more an argument to his because they would say it's red hot at the moment wouldn't they it's white hot yeah, but the question is not whether or not so that's late cycle. No, well, that's that's. But know. the question isn't whether or not you sh that in and of itself is a sufficient indicator. The question is why is it that way? 
And what I'm saying is when you have consumers whose balance sheets are as good as they've been and like loan to value ratios are not crazy and you don't have liar loan documents like we did in 2007 and you're not just going out and just like buying real estate because you can sign your name to something and you actually have to have supported documentation to do the deal, that's different. That sounds to me like there's a shortage that sounds to me like when desirable assets hit the market, they go quick. But you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm fine being wrong, but, uh, but that's what the that's what a that's what the peak of a bubble looks like too, and that's the always the argument at the very top of the bubble. And I, I'm saying that I don't think that it is, but then that behavior makes me think that maybe we're closer to it than. Yeah, remember that the second day after the peak is oh, it's just a tiny bit less <laughs> amazing than it was the day before, right? Uh, yeah, I just think that I mean. Thinking back to 2007, like, I mean, strippers aren't buying five houses right now. It's, it's way <laughs> they're, different. They're buying NFTs. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that's the bubble, right? Like that's fine. But I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Short it. Fuck it. Let's see. Score. Nice thing about this game is the scorecard does the talking. The opinions don't matter. Uh, dudes, that's time. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. That was fun. Sorry I was late. Have a good one. Enjoy Capital Camp, man. Tell some peeps I say hi. I will.